Welcome to the Cone Valley Podcast. Today we are joined by Ed Hidalgo, the Chief Innovation and Engagement Officer for the Cajon Valley Union School District. And he's here today to talk to us about the World of Work initiative and curriculum, its impact on our students, and how we hope to prepare them as they leave our schools and join our workforce. All right, Ed, well, thank you very much for joining me today on this episode of our podcast. My name is Brandon Sullivan. And we are here today to talk about the World of Work Initiative, and I'm hoping that this will be a good foundation for a series of episodes to come on which we expand upon what the World of Work Initiative is, who its players are, ranging from our staff and educators all the way down to our students. I'm hoping to just start with you and to get a little bit of your story and how you arrived here at Cajon Valley. Well, thank you, Brandon. It's it's an honor to be here. I respect your work, and certainly I love the work that we're doing here in Cajon Valley. So, for me, it's a it's a journey that started um, well many years ago. Uh, I spent twenty years on the corporate side, and I was fortunate enough to um, fall into human resources and staffing, talent acquisition, and um, I very quickly found out that I loved um, I love providing people jobs. I love making that connection between human beings and their place in the world of work. And I often realize that many people struggled with finding the right place for them, that folks were jumping around quite a bit. And a lot of people weren't very fulfilled in their work. And, um, and so I always had that question in my mind, how do we help people find their place in the world? How do we help people take their unique talents and connect them to work that's meaningful and fulfilling? Why couldn't everyone find that? And part of that struggle was my own struggle, trying to find it for myself. And I, again, I felt so lucky to have fallen into talent acquisition and human resources. And so it was that 20 years of, of working with people and trying to help them find their place in the world, uh, developing talent, and that really led me to the work that we're doing today. Now, can you expand upon where that work was happening and how did that land you in education? That's a great question. So, um, so interestingly enough, I you know I was working at Qualcomm for eleven years um, of that journey. I was I was just sharing in human resources and talent acquisition, and I had an incredible boss there. Um, his name uh, is Ben Hampson, and he uh, had this philosophy that as long as you crush the core of your work, that you do your work very well, that he would give his staff the flexibility to uh, work on side projects or devote maybe a 20% time kind of thing towards areas of passion. And so for me, um, two of those uh, 20% time projects ended up becoming real um, significant impacts in my own life and my own journey. One of those um, experiences was starting a career counseling practice for our own employees uh, there at the organization. And we saw 15,000 employees over the course of the time that I was working on that project. And we were really uh, doing core career counseling and career development uh, for for these workers, um, it's interesting how uh, you know we as employees we want our own career development. We want to know that there's a career path for us that we're growing, that we're developing. And many of the employees there in that organization they wanted the same thing. So we created a practice to allow that to take place, and it was very successful. 
um, well thought of, and um, from my understanding, it continues on to this day. The second 20% time project was uh, the opportunity to create a maker space for middle school students, grades 6th, 7th, and 8th, to have a hands-on experience with engineering, um, but also to learn about the world of work. And once again, over uh, the course of three years, um, we saw 15,000 students, uh, middle schoolers, um, who would come to, to Qualcomm, essentially, to this place called the Thinkabit Lab, and they had the opportunity to build robotic creations and uh, code on Arduinos and um, do amazing, incredible work. And um, we had an incredible staff there, amazing educators who really brought this place to life. And um, a lot of the work that we did there was a result of the career counseling practice. We were starting to take learnings from working with adults, helping adults understand their own unique strengths, interests, and values. And we were starting to tinker and apply some of these learnings to working with young people. Would young people in middle school be interested in exploring their own strengths, interests, and values? And um, so over the course of these three years, we met with all these students, but we also met with um, more than 5,000 adults. And many of those adults, of course, because these were school districts that were bringing students, were principals and superintendents. And on one particular visit, Dr. Miyashiro came with his team from Cajon Valley. And it was during the, the introduction to their students' experience that day that we started speaking about the importance of every child knowing that there's a place in the world for them. That this belief that every child had unique strengths, interests, and workplace values and that every child should have a place to tinker and practice and develop those strengths, interests, and values. And it was that moment that Dr. Mishiro, I, I believe, really saw something different potentially for students in his district. And the idea of what if we could make this more than a one day out of school experience? What if every child could have this sense for themselves throughout the normal course of their school day. And it was that initial meeting, that initial conversation um, that led me to leave Qualcomm, uh, spend a year working on the theory of change and the theory of action at the University of San Diego, and eventually to land here in Cajon Valley doing this very important work. And what year was this? Uh yeah, so this was, um, I guess it was 2015, 2015 or 2016. I don't quite remember. It's all blurring together. But I believe it was 2015 um, that I, I think it was June of 2015 when I left and I went to the University of San Diego um, to start really studying and understanding, could we translate this work in a meaningful way to work in the earliest grades, uh, make sure that we do no harm, but help every child know they have a place in the world. So you've been here for about... Three years. Yeah, so I'm going on three years as an employee and um, one year as a consultant at the University of San Diego and the Jacobs Institute um, for Innovation and Education at, at, um, as a consultant supporting the district. At what point when you arrived did you identify this need or demand to, to start this initiative? Well, I, th I think that, that's a great question. And really, it, it started earlier with Dr. Miyashiro, I think, in the board, who were really understanding that, um, that there was a, a shift happening in the world of work in the community. And see, the board and Dr. Miyashiro had already been doing important work. They were um, already speaking to the city manager, to the chief of police, to the chief of fire, 
Um, they were talking to major developers here in El Cajon, and he he often talks about uh, the question that he would ask them: If you were running the school district, um, what would you do differently? What would you change if the school district was yours to run? And many of the of the leaders would say, "Well, uh, you've stigmatized labor. We can't find talent in areas like the trades, so that we can." Uh, do the work that we need to do to keep growing El Cajon. Um, we can't find the talent that we need um, in, in order to serve some of the most important community roles, such as our police officers, um, our firefighters, our men and women um, in the military. Again, you've stigmatized these um, important areas of work, and that's hurting our community. And so I think Dr. Mishiro really took that um, to heart. The board took that to heart. And I believe that was all part of the process of really developing uh, the vision statement for the Cohen Valley School District, which is to develop happy kids in healthy relationships on a path to gainful employment and really this understanding that it's all connected. So they identified those issues, really those opportunities. They came to the Think a Bit Lab and saw the work that we were doing, the things that we were talking about, Every Child Unique and Special, Strengths, Interests, and Values, Connecting Students to the World of Work, Every Child Has Talents That Are Needed in the World. And that's when um, they made that connection. Wow, how can we bring these two things together to serve all of our students? And so that, that's really, um, that was really an important part of the process. Now, when you talk about the stigmatization of labor, what are we talking about exactly? Where are we finding these kids are ending up as they leave school? I, I think, um, again, this is a really, I think, an important topic. And I think we have to look at um, a, a bunch of different variables there um, that relate to students' disconnection to the world of work. And it, it, it starts, I think, with, uh, with just with engagement in the classroom and, you know, Gallup's been studying student engagement now for over a decade. And we know that um, student engagement peaks in fifth grade and bottoms out in uh, 11th grade. Uh, and that's the lowest point of engagement, which is so interesting because as we look at workers engagement, actually last year was, um, I think 2019 was the first year that worker engagement actually increased nationally for the first time ever. Um, in 10 years, the number has typically been about around 33% of workers say that they're engaged in their work, which is a terribly low number. It's really shocking. Um, so I think these kind of these pieces working together, um, engagement of students, uh, this element of disconnection, not understanding where you're headed in terms of the world of work, the lack of career development that happens in our schools has led us to a place um, like what we know in terms of the data here in San Diego. Um, so thanks to the San Diego Workforce Partnership, which is our local workforce board that actually studies this concept of youth disconnection, we know that in San Diego, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 30,000, 29,000 what is called opportunity youth. And opportunity youth are 16 to 24-year-olds that are not in school and not working. And what we know about that subset of, of, of young people young adults, is that 19% of them um, have less than a high school diploma. And so when we see these connections of what's happening to students, by the way, El Cajon 
was in the original sample in the data set, fifth on that list with the most opportunity use. So you talk about a call to action. Here we see this data. We're fifth on the list of opportunity youth. Um, and Dr. Miyashiro will talk about that's our fault. That's a, that's a, a gap in the education the system, preparing young talent, young people for the world of work and post-secondary education. So uh, those datas, those measures are elements that have really impacted our work. And when you look even further, you look at students um, that are in debt. There's 1.6 trillion in student loan debt. You know, there's a huge number of students that don't complete college and they still have debt. A significant number takes more than six years uh, to complete their college education. Um, so it's it's very complex. There's no longer a yellow brick road for students to go from um, high school to post secondary to their job. It's a it's a high stakes, high cost, high expense, and um, from a talent perspective, we can't afford to have thirty thousand disconnected youth, not in school, not working, 16 to 24 year olds in our community, um, because that's really our, our talent pipeline. We need those students um, highly engaged, developing their talents and being ready to go in uh, to fill the jobs that our local employers need. So that's the work that, we're, that we're, we're, we're doing and that's the data that we're paying attention to, to make sure we can change it for students. So tell me about the, the theory of change and the theory of action that you were studying at the University of San Diego, and how did that help you to create this curriculum and this, this program? Definitely. Well, um, it, was a critical, uh, it was a critical year, really an important year to be able to spend um, time there working with Dr. Ian Martin um, and the staff. Um, you know, again, we really want to understand how could we take um, vocational psychology and that you know some of those elements are the things that we were unpacking um, at Qualcomm in the career counseling practice, the career explorations, um, this concept of strengths, interest, and values. You know, w- could it make sense to take those ideas, those concepts, and adapt them to work with young people? How do we um, help young people discover their own strengths, interests, and values, um, and help them direct them in a meaningful way to develop a vision of their future possible selves? So. For us, it started with really understanding what are the problems um, out in the world of work and in education. Where are the gaps? And you know, we you know we came up with these concepts that um, you know, in many cases, uh, in education, we don't understand the changing nature of the world of work. We don't understand what's happening with the gig economy, uh, mobility, global mobility, um, things like. Um, advancements in software and artificial intelligence and virtual reality, these things that are changing just the nature, the basic foundation of the world of work that are happening right now. They're not the future of work. It's happening right now. Um, We know that students don't have the opportunity oftentimes to have a career conversation during their K-12 years. Um, A small percentage of students even make it into career services at the, at the collegiate level in the four year in their four year universities. Um, and so these elements were some important gaps that we were recognizing that we wanted to fill. And so, um, starting to develop, um, the curriculum with the researchers at the university of San Diego with Dr. Martin in partnership and in collaboration with the school district really allowed us to kind of set a baseline to develop a baseline product and curriculum um, that our teachers could get started with, and then from there start crafting and developing on top of to customize. Because the the work that we developed um, 
is less meant to be something that's used in a prescriptive fashion. It's more important that teachers understand the concepts, the ideas, the language, and the lexicon, understand the framework and the process, and then make it their own. And I think that's what's special in the work in Cajon Valley is that um, we're encouraging teachers to use their creative talents, their design talents, their own ingenuity, um, you know, to make this real in their classrooms and not another thing. So you just mentioned teachers kind of picking it up and running with it. How are you finding that they are implementing it in their classrooms and making it work for them? I think that's a really important question. And I'll say that, um, you know, I, I think like with all new things, you have um, a group of teachers who explore it right away. They're eager to understand it and they jump right in. You have some middle frame, middle stage adopters who are, you know, a little bit curious, but not quite sure. And it's going to take a little bit longer. And then you have some folks who are, um, don't want to try something new and are hard to move forward. And, you know, we've seen, uh, educators in all three areas. Um, what I'll say to folks who are listening to the, to this message is what I think is the most important aspect of this work is ensuring that all the adults who are part of this process uh, participate in the career development framework for themselves first. Meaning, as much as this is a framework and process for our students, it's equally as important to give this gift of career development, of self-awareness, of self-understanding, of self-exploration to the adults. And the adults should have it first because we don't want to ask the adults to give something to their students that they haven't had for themselves. So it's just surprising and not surprising to me that most of us as, as adults have been in the world of work for many years, maybe decades, and we've rarely, if ever, have sat down to have a career development conversation. We've rarely, if ever, sat down to really think about ourselves, like what makes us tick? What are our unique strengths, our natural talents, how we get things done, how we find ourselves in our flow of work? What are our interests? What do we care about? Where do we direct our preferences towards uh, the world of work, both vocational or avocational? And what are our values? What gets us up out of bed every morning? Why do we go to work? Um, why do we want to wear jeans to work or a suit to work or work in a high rise or work independently? We don't think about these things. We tend to get onto this conveyor belt of education, of work, whatever it might be, whatever field we might choose, and we're not very reflective about it. And so um, I strongly believe that the way to start this work is first to start with the adults who are going to be gifting this work with their students and help serve them, help care for them, help them think about their own journeys first. And once that takes place, uh, then we can start giving that gift um, um, to the students. So that's really where that's really where it starts. What would you say are the key components that make up this curriculum as far as this fr framework that you've talked about and, and how do we explore for ourselves how we can identify what our strengths and values and interests are is, you know, what, what sort of metric are we using to identify that? So another great question, and you have kind of like two core elements in your, in your question, the, the one being, how do I, what is it that we're doing? And number two, how do we learn more about ourselves through this process and what are those metrics? So, so let me start with the first one first. Um, 
you know, quite a bit of a zag on our process, like, you know, a zigzag, uh, stepping away from the norm is that um, teachers are doing this work in the classroom. And I think traditionally um, this work has been handled by counselors. And it's not that we don't love counselors because we absolutely do, but we also know the reality of the ratio between student and counselor. Um, in some states, it's as many as 950 to one counselor to student. In some states and some communities, it's 1500 to one. So to think that our counselors have the time and focus or and even training to be able to deliver career development in the classrooms is a mistake. It's not happening. It won't happen. It can't happen. We don't have um, uh, we don't have enough counselors that are trained in this area to do this work. And that's, that's really an area of innovation for us. That's why we led with teachers. There's nobody better than a teacher. A teacher has 180 days to develop a relationship with a child. They are best positioned to be able to deploy this work in the classroom, and they're best positioned to be able to integrate it into the coursework that they're already deploying in the classroom. Um, so uh, with that, we say that career development is a human process, and that any assessment is only as good as its interpretation. So it's our teachers being able to understand this language of the curriculum, understanding that's a relationship-based process, and it's something that should be integrated in the classroom. That's how this work starts, and, and it links to the process. So, um, so with that, I'll share kind of the core elements of what we're trying to accomplish here as it relates to the curriculum, and I'll come back and share uh, kind of the metrics and the self-awareness process for um, for teachers um, or for all humans, anyone on the staff. So at the, at the core of our process is what we call the uh, career development framework, which we designed when I was back at Uni University of San Diego. And it's called the mission of me. And we believe that every child, every grade, every year should have the opportunity to explore their unique strengths, interests, and values. And we call that a core element of self-awareness. It's one of the pillars, the core pillars of the mission of me. And it's what you see in our classrooms when you come and visit. The second pillar is what we call the journey, and it's, uh, it's the, the um, process of providing students exposure to both academic and career opportunities. And it answers that question, how does a child aspire to a career they don't know exists? We must give them exposure. And the third pillar of the mission of me is my story. And we believe that every child should have the opportunity, the knowledge, the skills, the abilities to be able to tell their unique story, not someone else's story, their unique story, which means they need to understand their unique strengths, interests, and values, and they need to have knowledge and understanding about where they're headed and what the opportunities are for them. So again, that's a three core process. It's called the mission of me, and it's for every child, every grade, every year. And that career development framework then links to how we implement it in the classroom. And that implementation framework um, has four core levels. We believe that every child, every grade, every year should have the opportunity to explore a career, to simulate a career, have an as-if experience as that worker in the job. Um, they should have the opportunity to meet a pro as that level three. Uh, ideally, someone who looks like them, who's doing the job, and that can be in person or virtually. And then they would have that level four experience which we call practice or a demonstration of learning. So you can imagine that mission of me framework, every child learning about their self-awareness, getting exposure to the world of work through the journey and academic opportunities, being able to tell their story, and then actually experiencing careers through those four levels of implementation. So that a child explores the career, simulates the career, meets a professional in the career, 
and then practices. And we the way we do that is across careers, across what we call or what's called the Ryasek framework. And um, that Ryasek framework really guides the connection between students' experiences um, and the alignment to actual jobs out in the world of work. So that's the process, that's the framework, those are the core elements. Um, and perhaps we'll talk about the Ryasek in a, in a further question that you might have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if you step into any classroom in any of our schools, you're going to see this Ryasek model represented. And uh, I would love to know more about you know, where this came from and why did we choose this or, or why are we implementing this with our World of Work program? That's a, that's a great connection to the second part of your question around how do we as individuals learn about our strengths, interests, and values, what tools are we using, et cetera. And in our district, and I believe that across K-12, um, we're, we're, we're using lots of different tools for students and um, different types of personality assessments and this, that, and the other, whatever. There's lots of them out there. I think there's thousands of personality assessments that are out there. And we have, um, we have grounded on a theory, a vocational theory that's called the Ryasek. Some people call it the Ryasek. And it is a theory that was created by John Holland, Dr. John Holland. Um, he was actually a military recruiter um, back in the, I believe, the 50s. And he needed a, a framework in order to, um, through the recruiting process, to help um, basically place recruits into areas that actually made sense based on their personalities. And so uh, this is a framework that at, at this stage, um, you know, more than 50 years later, is the most researched of all vocational typologies. Um, there is deep research associated with the RIASEC. Um, major universities like Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Arizona State University, and others. Tallahassee Community College is an interesting one that I just saw recently that is actually classifying their majors, um, certificate programs by the RIASEC. Um, and uh, the ONET, which might be new to many of the listeners, the, uh, the platform that hosts um, the government's database of jobs, also classifies jobs by the RIASEC. And then when we look at some of our gold standards and career assessments, like the strong interest inventory, the results are revealed uh, through the lens of the RIASEC. And so what, what the RIASEC is doing is it's helping students make connections to their interests. And each of the RIASEC theme letters connect to uh, elements of personality, of values that we all have um, that align to these interest themes. So realistic is hands-on doing, investigative are known as the thinkers, they use math and science to solve problems. Artistic is all about creative self-expression. Social is our helpers. Um, enterprising, uh, you know, about uh, uh, topics such as public speaking, persuasion, perhaps politics, and conventional is all about organizing facts, data, and figures. So most people are a combination of two or three themes, and the RIASEC helps us uh, make connections to those themes and, and kind of who we are and how we connect to the world of work. So, so the RIASEC is a foundational uh, framework. It's what our teachers are using. They're grounding in the RIASEC. And while we talk about strengths and values as complementary to interests, um, and they are, and we have the tools and we've created the protocols to deploy those elements in the classroom, 
The reason that we ground in interests is because the research shows that interests have the highest correlation to career success, performance, and income of any of the personality measures. And so that's why interests are so critically important. And it's and this measure of interest is something that people can use across the lifespan to explore who they are and uh, where they would be at their best in the world of work. So um, that's why it's an important framework. That's why we use the RIASEC. And um, I'm sure you're, the, the listeners can, can head out to Google and, and do a quick search on the RIASEC and get lots of information on it if they want to hear more. And how are we exposing our students to this model? And, and when are we exposing them to this model? And, and what, what are we finding the impact on our students is? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really great question. I think um, so much, um, really, I can't uh, send out enough praise to uh, so many of the, the teachers, the educators that are doing this work because they have truly um, um, exceeded my expectations on what's possible. And um, even as we have visitors that come to our schools to see students doing this work, um, the students often say it's amazing. It's amazing to have had conversations with such young students who are so seemingly self-aware, who can speak this language that um, so many other students cannot speak. Um, They have a knowledge of themselves. They have a knowledge of where they're going. They can speak about the future. And we've never seen anything like it. And I think that's those are some of the most consistent themes that we've heard um, from from visitors. We just had visitors yesterday, and they, they were saying the same thing. So um, this work starts as early as transitional kindergarten. Of course, it's scaffolded up in different ways, depending on the capabilities of the students and certainly the capabilities of the, of the teacher. I want the listeners to know that we're not testing kids on the RIASEC in the earliest grades all the way through fifth grade. We've created the protocols, the processes, and the tools for students and teachers uh, to work together um, to self-report interests, for students to make connections between who they think they are and what they're learning about each of the RISEC themes. And that's really powerful. We don't want to be testing kids. We know that interest themes can change over time. And the last thing that we're doing is pigeonholing um, students or tracking students into particular themes. Uh, students get exposure to careers, like I mentioned earlier, through the four levels of integration across each of the RISEC theme areas. And that's important because we know that as early as seven years of age, that students start to foreclose on career opportunities. As gender stereotypes start to enter into their mindset and their thinking from wherever it might come, whether it's TV or family um, bias, uh, where students will start to say, that's a boy job, not a girl job. And those are things that we want to ward off. We want to work against those types of gender stereotypes. We want every child to know that there's a place in the world for them, that there's dignity in all work, and that every child should have the opportunity to explore any career areas of their interests. So we specifically ensure that every child, every grade, every year is going to get exposure across each of the RISEC theme areas. Even if they identify that they're social and enterprising as their top themes, we still need to be making sure that they're getting exposure in realistic, investigative, um, artistic, and conventional areas. And I think our best teachers are, are actually keeping track of that. So as students maybe self-report their themes at the beginning of a school year, teachers are, are, are uh, understanding and evaluating. And what they are tracking is, which themes aren't high in my class? Maybe the investigative themes or conventional themes aren't showing up as, as consistent or there's, there aren't very many uh, students who are claiming those themes, which are typically math and science oriented. 
How do I, as the teacher, bring more experiences, bring in more meta pros, bring in more activities in those types of areas? So my maybe I can moderate up or increase students selecting or identifying. That sounds like me. That's more like me instead of warding it off. It gets back to that piece of exploration. So, so think of it like this. At the beginning of the year, uh, teachers are having their students self-report their um, their themes based on, again, the, the tools and protocols that we've um, created where they're understanding what each theme means and they're then raising their hands, claiming uh, the themes. And then throughout the school year, now teachers are Im- integrating exposure to actual careers and to people, just like our four levels of integration. So once again, students can start sa- reflecting, did that career, did the person in that career sound like me? Did their strengths, or their interests, their values, does that sound like me or does not sound like me? Reflection is a big part of this. And then students are having the opportunity to self-report throughout the entire school year. And then imagine once you get to the end of the school year, you've had these six experiences at a minimum. You've had an opportunity to self-report your themes all across the school year. And then at the end of the year, the teacher could sit down with the students in a circle, in a small group, and say, students, we've explored across all the RISEC theme areas. You've been claiming all throughout the year which themes you think are yours. At the end of this year, where are you standing now? What do you think about your core themes? Where do you feel you have the greatest alignment? And what experiences and who did you meet this year that really helps you make that connection to build that belief in who you are and who you want to become. And that is incredibly powerful for students. And that also is incredibly powerful for teachers and fulfilling for teachers because students can absolutely do this starting in the earliest grades. To that point, we are providing exposure, like you said, from kindergarten to fifth grade. Middle school is where they actually take some sort of test or some sort of self-assessment test. Is that, that's correct? Correct. Now, what in your estimation is differences in the model that you notice between the primary grades and the middle school grades, if there is one? Uh, I think, uh, again, it's a, it's a good question. And, and you're right that starting in sixth grade, we start to introduce um, the students to a valid, reliable, and empirically based assessment um, it's called the Super Strong. It's made by the Myers-Briggs Company. And we believe in, that our assessment should be valid, reliable, and empirically based. And we want to introduce students to the opportunity to make connections between the, uh, the results of their science and the results of their self-reporting. I think that's very important. And as I mentioned early, career devel- earlier, career development is a human process. And any assessment is only as good as its interpretation, which means we need to have more conversations in middle school with students because that process of self-understanding, that process of self-reflection, and really um, that process of having greater doubts and fears is growing. It's developing. We do an exercise called the Mitri, where students get to connect in a visual representation of their strengths, interests, and values. And at the same time, um, they'll create, uh, they'll identify what are their hopes and dreams and what are their fears and doubts. And as young people get older and they grow um, throughout adolescence, just as their hopes and dreams are growing, so are their fears and doubts. So that opportunity to have those conversations is, is really, really important. So I think to answer your question specifically, in middle school, we should be providing students more opportunities to explore, simulate, meet a pro and practice. We should be up-leveling the rigor. Students, just as I mentioned about the Think a Bit Lab earlier, 
These students would come to the lab and they would write about 15 lines of code working on an Arduino um, uh, microcontroller. And we didn't have any front loading to that program. 99% of those students had success creating their own robotic creations, which shows us just how much students can do when we give them opportunities to tinker and to simulate. So in middle school, students should be having more hands-on experience, more hands-on exposure, more work-based learning experiences. They should have greater opportunities to meet with professionals. They should have the opportunity to ask better questions, deeper questions, and start to develop an idea of their own social networks. And I think whenever possible, students should be getting off-site, leaving to learn, getting into the workplace when possible, and actually learning again from those craftsmen and women who are doing the work in the world of work for students to have more reflections about where they might fit in. And I think the work in elementary helps build a platform um, for this. It helps build a, a base and a foundation for students to have the language so that once they get into middle school, now they can start advocating for themselves, sh sharing with some sort of confidence what they like to do, and, and hopefully um, having teachers who listen to them and, and make those opportunities a reality so that once they now start to think about what are my pathways going to be in ninth grade, what are the types of um, curriculum that I want to have exposure to in high school, that students will have had that deeper exposure in middle school to be able to make more um, informed decisions based on who they are, what they like to do, and then maybe where they'd like to do it. And to that point, we can't guarantee that they're going to be entering a, uh, a high school district or school that is using this model or implementing similar curriculum. So how are they able to scale this up? How are they able to take this to high school and beyond and even out into our community as they join our workforce? Well, I, I think that's a really important conversation and you're 100% right because I think most high schools have a baked curriculum, a baked process. It's about uh, test scores. It's about AP. It's about getting you to college. Um, and we fail to focus on the individual, the child that's in front of us. The one thing I've learned through talent acquisition um, the many years is that we can teach people to be good at lots of different things. We can teach students to be really good at taking tests. We know that when uh, they get test prep, they could do better in the SATs. Um, but how, how does that matter? Why does that matter? If, if we're missing the point about who is the child, why are they unique? How are they unique and special? So my belief is we know that it's going to be really hard to change 9 through 12. That's just the way it is. They're trying to meet the needs of uh, college, four-year college and college entrance, et cetera, although they can change and they should change. But if, if we do our work really well from K to 8, and if we integrate the ecosystem, meaning parents, business, the community, teachers, we'll be able to develop such a framework for students where, where this will be grounded. This will just be an expectation where students will just matriculate through this process knowing that they have unique strengths, interests, and values. Of course, it would be absurd if you were to uh, not talk to me about how I'm unique and special. You'd be a, it would be actually strange if I actually had a teacher who didn't know what their own Ryasek themes were because, of course, we all learned that during elementary and middle school. Um, it would be ridiculous if I, if I, uh, I went into a, 
um, a subject area and I didn't get a chance to meet professionals because that's what you're supposed to do when you're in school anyways. You're supposed to um, get exposure to the world of work so you can make better decisions later on. So I truly believe that we will build a foundation for all students through our, the journey in K-8 so that no matter what they experience in 9, 10, 11, and 12, if we'll have done a good job, if we've done good enough of a job that our students will matriculate out with these competencies of being able to articulate what are their strengths, what are their interests, what are their values, what is the, ex- uh, what are this, the exposure that has impacted their interest in both a career and a post-secondary educational track that leads them to that. And thirdly, and this is where it all comes together, that they've had the opportunity to practice to tell their story so that when they sit down with someone, a counselor, whomever, they can share who they are, where they're headed, and how they're going to get there. And that's, I think, the gift that we can give uh, to all of our students, regardless of what happens in 9, 10, 11, and 12. Um, the reality is that we know that this can happen in 9, 10, 11, and 12. We just don't have the will to do it. We don't measure it. And so we don't prioritize it. And that's where our system is failing students. I find that that's represented in our culture here at the district too. You know, I can go to any class and speak with students about what my RISEC code is as I have taken that test, as have my colleagues. And I think it's such a great resource that those students are able to see professions other than teacher walking into their classroom and have it be close to their interests. So with that in mind, what sort of research, if any, are we doing on the back end now that we've implemented this for a number of years? What what have we found the results to be for these students as they are passing through this curriculum? I'm glad that you asked that question. And and certainly for us, the research has been an important piece of, of this journey. And I'm so thankful to the Jacobs Institute at the University of San Diego um, because they've been conducting a three-year longitudinal study of our work and a couple different frameworks that, that um, we are focusing on. Um, but specifically, students' career decision-making self-efficacy um, is, is uh, one of the core areas. Another core area is this concept of possible selves. And, um, and kind of that's where I'd want to kind of land in, in kind of my comments here. Um, because this, this framework is, has been around for more than 30 years. I think it was 1980, around 1986 when the framework was first um, revealed by two, two researchers and kind of this focus of this concept of possible selves. And what's really important to know about it and the research that's happened um, since then is this, this um, understanding that when students can develop a vision for their hoped-for possible selves, it actually has strong correlation into students' engagement in school and, and working hard and wanting to come to school, and right? Because you can see that there is this future possible self that you have. And it's, it's really hard for young people, really of all ages throughout adolescence, to, to really have a vision or develop a vision of what their possible future selves can be, especially if you hadn't hadn't had exposure. And so what's been really, really great about the research and where we have our our second year, year over year data, we have our baseline and got our second year of data, is that um, as it relates to more than 3,000 middle schoolers, we were able to move um, these students' possible future selves, um, this idea of being able to identify careers that they're interested in, we went from 74% of students in that sample set 
to more than 94% of students being able to name and claim an actual job that they want to do and uh, in a vivid way. So that's really important that we're seeing that number increase. A really important learning for us too is that there's a correlation between their hoped for possible selves and this other component, which is feared for possible selves. And what we see in the data is as the number of, uh, as the percentage of students um, uh, with hoped for possible selves increased, so did um, the number and percentage of students feared for possible selves, which to us means there's this correlation, there's this linkage. In order for students to know what they want to be, they also need to know what they don't want to be. And I don't want to do that, and I want to do this. And so we need to be having conversations with students about um, those areas of fear, where they don't want to end up, what they don't want it to be, so that they can make more connections to what they do want to be. So that's a really important part of the research that we'll be sharing um, very soon. Um, The other piece of the research, which is important, is we're also studying teachers' beliefs in doing and integrating career development. And so we're studying teachers' belief in the possibilities and their mindsets and the benefits. And we've had some really incredible growth over two years in that 95% of teachers, more than 180, I believe, in the sample set of teachers, um, believe that career development matters. And that um, 85% of teachers believe that uh, teachers and schools should play a role in career development. Um, and uh, as it relates to our, our framework and our work, uh, that 80, 82% of the teachers in the sample set uh, shared that the world of work actually improves the classroom experience and learning for students. So those two elements in particular are highlights. There's about 20 different really interesting research um, variables that we're, we're experiencing. But the fact that more students are identifying po- their own future possible self is huge. I mean, to have 94% of them say that. Um, and at the same time, knowing that teachers are seeing the benefit of this work, that it's making an impact in their classroom, and that career development matters is um, equally as exciting um, for us. And um, it's exciting to a lot of parents that we share this data with as well, because it's what they want for their kids. They want to know their child's on a path to gainful employment. And, and this is the way their school district is doing it. Well, Ed, thank you so much for sharing your your time and insight on this. This has been great. And I think this is, again, a, a very valuable resource for our students, as I wish I had something like this when I went to schools in this very district, in fact. Uh, where can we tell people to go next? What can we empower them to go seek out on their own if they're hoping to find out more about either our World of Work curriculum or the RISEC model or anything may fall under that umbrella. Uh, definitely, Brandon. Um, the, uh, there was a lot of ways that folks can get connected with us and certainly going to uh, the cohenvalley.net website um, is a great way just to learn about our district and what's happening in our district. If you want to learn specifically about the world of work, um, you can go to the worldofwork.net website um, and you can see some of our resources there. Um, please don't hesitate to... Um, Uh, Put your contact information in there and then we can follow up with you if you have specific questions. So I highly recommend, um, you know, kind of interacting with us and letting us know what you're thinking about and what questions you might have. So that's a that's a great way to get connected. You can also follow us on Twitter at CV World of Work. 
Um, you can also follow the district through, um, through Twitter and Instagram, et cetera. You can find us right out there on the web, but I would say those are, those are probably some of the best ways, um, uh, to learn more about our work. Um, don't hesitate to reach out to the district. If you want to speak to myself or any of the members of the team, uh, we have an incredible group of world of work coaches that are actually teaching other districts about, um, this work and other teachers. So, uh, they would be more than happy that, to, uh, spend some time with you. Uh, answering any questions that you might have, and and really, once again, for us to l- learn from from uh, from our audience and the people who are out in the world that are uh, integrating CTE and other sort of career related learning, um, the 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 more that we can work together on these big big topics and big change, uh, the the better we'll all be, and the more prepared all of our students will be as well. So for those of you listening in today, if you want to learn more about the Cajon Valley Union School District, please visit our website at cajonvalley.net. And if you want to learn more about the World of Work initiative, visit our website, worldofwork.net. Thank you. This podcast was recorded and edited by Brandon Sullivan. Our music was written and performed by Amanda King, Nick Matthews, and Brandon Sullivan. You can keep in touch with us by emailing us at podcast at cajonvalley.net. And we would also like to take this opportunity to thank all of the staff, teachers, students, and community partners of the Cajon Valley Union School District for their support of our mission and without whose efforts this podcast would not be possible. Thank you. Thank you.